Yeah, it is uh, an incredible privilege to be here with you. It's been uh, quite some time since I've been up to Nanaimo, but uh, I got to see it without rain, which was kind of nice. It's very pretty, by the way, when it's not raining. But, uh, you know, in all the prayer, uh, the, the Mo's prayer, Tyrant's introduction, I'm a bit overwhelmed by it because the reality of what we need tonight is not me. We need Him. You know, Tyrant touched on it in the worship time. These times we can get very grandiose and exciting and we can get a big momentum and a crowd. But the reality of the gospel is we live it out there. And so I believe what God wants to do tonight, and I just believe this is a preparation of our hearts, is I'm trusting God to use me, but please receive the deposit He wants to put in us to change us, to stir us, to encourage us. I was reminded during worship of when Joshua is, is told, be strong and courageous because you're going to lead my people into the promised land. And friends, tonight, hear this not as, well, this is good for my leader. Hear this as, this is a word for the priesthood. We are the priesthood. We, together, will reach and change Canada and the rest of the world. And so let God's Word just saturate and soak in you and bring courage so that when we go out of here and there's not a crowd of people around us, we know that God is with us and that He can use us mightily. Amen? You know, it was interesting. God gave me this Word a few weeks ago. And it just stirred in me and stirred in me. And I thought, Lord, how's it going to fit? And I shared it with Tyron and uh, we, we chatted. And then I watched the course of what God did over the week, beginning with surrender. It comes to saying yes to him. It begins in that place of, of laying it all down and then having Wes come up partway through and get up here and declare through tears, things are good, but I'm broken. And it puts us all in a vulnerable place to lay it all down and say, Lord, here am I. And then the different teachings of pioneering and preparing and tearing down mountains and taking mountains that God has given to us. And then making sure that we keep our balance through the course of things. And then Dan this, this afternoon coming and beginning to lay the foundation of what is, what is the gospel. It leaves us in a place of, of vulnerability. But I believe the way that God works is, is a preparation for something. And the preparation is, I believe, to prepare us to take out with us the message that we need to carry. So often at these times, we get referred to books or lists or programs. But the truth of what we need is we need to understand we have been given the message that the world needs to hear. Yeah. It doesn't need to be spruced up or spiced up or, or danced around. The message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, the all-sufficient one that we've lifted up and exalted is exactly what we need and exactly what the world needs to hear. Yeah. Amen? And five, I've heard it, I think, five times throughout the course of this time, the scripture that was at the, the head of what I was, I'm going to share. And it's Paul's declaration with passion. I am not ashamed of this gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. You think, oh, if he left it there, well, well good for you, Paul. But he goes on and he says, because it is the power of God to save men's souls. It is the power of God to take the worst of sinners and turn them into kingdom saints and soldiers. Friends, it's a humbling thing for me to stand in a position like this because I don't deserve to be here. My life was a, a chaotic mess, young, not my doing. I was abandoned when I was eight in an apartment as a little kid. And bounced around trying to find identity, trying to figure out life, trying to, I rode motorcycles, sold drugs, fought, did all sorts of everything I could to figure out why I existed, why I was here. And when I was 21, God brought an ex-Hell's angel 
into my life, someone who had faced far worse things than I, and I thought God couldn't save me. I was too bad of a sinner. And he brings this guy in who was an ex-Hells Angel, ex-Hitman for them. If you don't know who they were, they're an outlaw biker gang, quite, quite uh, notorious. But he sat before me and I saw the scars and the wounds on his body, but I saw in his eyes Jesus. And over a period of months, he loved us, he fed us, he answered my questions as I asked more and more and more because I believed in God, but I didn't want anything to do with church because the course of my journey had brought me through church and I saw something I didn't want to pretend to be a part of. And at the end of a summer with him, he said, you know, Chris, you've got a lot more questions than I've got answers. Why don't you come to church? And I said, if it's a church with people like you, I'll go. I remember going that day, that morning, and I don't remember what in the world the guy was preaching. He was a little guy, but he was preaching like he was 10 feet tall. And I'd never seen anyone with that much passion about God. And at the end of the time, he said he, he gave the altar call. And I knew from the time he was preaching, my heart was pounding out of my chest, and I had to get up and respond. And friends, when I turned my life or gave my life to Christ and received his forgiveness and surrendered my life to him, he took a wretch and he began to make me into a son. I believe God wants us to fall in love with the message of Jesus Christ again. And what I mean by that, I don't want to separate it from Jesus. Our message is Jesus. But I believe that God wants to just begin to stir us and even remind many of us of the day we came to know Him. Not to go back there and relive it again, but just to remember the fervor and the excitement and the vigor we had that day we came to know Jesus. I remember my friends, my, my before Christ friends would call me right afterward to go do the same things we used to do. And I, never, I didn't even get a chance to say anything about Jesus. I just said, no, no, I'm not going to go party and do that stuff. But why don't you guys come and I think I invited them to go to the gym and play some racquetball. Just something different. But they knew something was different in me. And those friends who said they would die for me disappeared. But the enthusiasm I had, it didn't matter what people thought. It didn't matter, oh, oh, oh that's weird. Why are you talking? I didn't care. I just wanted to tell them about this Jesus. He saved me. He calls me son. He redeemed me. He restored me. He came after me. That passion is never meant to die. That confidence in our gospel, in his gospel, is never meant to go away. And I believe that what God wants to do with us tonight really does have to be caught more than taught. But as we go through some of the aspects of this gospel, the sufficiency of it, that it's more than enough, let some of these areas stir you. Let some of these areas remind you again of, of coming to Christ and what He's done and what He still wants to do through you. Amen? So many notes. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I think you have it on the overhead. Paul writes this to Timothy. Timothy is a, a young man. Many wonder his age, but Paul took him in like a son. Took him with him on his apostolic journeys, trained him up to be an apostle, to appoint elders. And, and Timothy, was, from what we understand, was a kind of a, a, a frail guy, stomach issues, all these different things. And you see Paul encouraging him. But every time I read this that Paul wrote to, to Timothy, it always, I think this probably inspired Timothy more than anything. And he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy. He appointed me to his service. 
And friends, we can read that and just think, oh, he appointed me. He appointed me, Paul, the murderer of Christians, the one who chased down families and children and dragged them out into the streets and into jail and stood by while Stephen was stoned to death. He appointed me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you have a question as to why Jesus came, there's your answer. He came for us. He came for them. And Paul reminds Timothy and reminds himself of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Friends, some of us here, I believe even as I read that, you look at yourself and where you came from and you still allow it to be a hindrance to where God wants to take you and what he wants to do through you. As we remember this gospel and the, and the sufficiency of it, it is enough to take the worst of sinners and make them into a saint that can take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I believe there's a few in here you need to allow God to set you free. There is an enemy that condemns. There is an enemy that reminds you of your past and says, maybe one day. But this gospel says the worst of sinners so that we can be a display of his grace and mercy to a world that needs to see it. Amen. This gospel, this message is powerful. It carries power to save the lost, to save the broken. It carries power to take gang members and, and murderers, people in jail who are rightly deserving a death sentence in this earth and bring them to salvation. That very same biker that led me to Christ shared a bit of his story. And within a couple days of his salvation, and you need to understand, he was the son of Sonny Barger who started the Hells Angels. And he was beaten every day since he was a little kid. And he said, I will, he stopped crying when he was about three. And he said, no one can ever beat me as bad as my father. His job was if you didn't pay, you paid. God saved him. And he went on the streets a few days later. He was a part of Set Free Ministries where he began to be ministered to. And he pulled up in his old cutlass and there's a couple uh, crips on the street in Los Angeles. The Bloods and the Crips, you guys know the gangs. They were killing each other quite a bit at that time. And he pulls the car over, sees these guys there, opens the trunk and they start coming over and, and they recognize the kind of guy he is and they start calling him Cracker and everything else. And they're coming over ready to fight. And he's got his trunk open and he's got a crowbar on one side and a Bible in the other. And out of instinct, he grabs the crowbar and he feels the Holy Spirit just let it go. And he took the Bible and he turned around and he gave them Jesus. 
And on the streets of Los Angeles, those two Crips gave their lives to Christ. And if I remember the story right, four days later, he saw on the news that the one of them was gunned down. And he had act, was actually the leader of the Crips at that time. But he knew Jesus Christ because the gospel is enough. Friends, when we go share this message, it's not one of many. It is the message. When we bring this truth to people, it is not a hopeful thing. It is the thing that people need to hear. And whether people receive or reject it is not on you. What is on us is to understand this gospel as the power to save the lost. And we've been entrusted with it. This gospel is transformational. Why are these points important? Because the world out there is crying out for these things. And, and sometimes we, we come with the gospel, we feel like it's inadequate because they throw something at us. Friends, this gospel transforms lives. It doesn't say, as Tyrant said earlier today, it doesn't make a, a bad man good. People used to say to my wife all the time, you've done such a good job of making Chris good. She looked at him and said, if you knew him before, you knew I had nothing to do with him being good now. This is a transforming gospel. We died to the old and we are made new. It's a do-over. I looked back at my life and I do wish I could still change many things before Christ, but I cannot. And the grace that God has given me is from the day I received Jesus Christ, I died. And I can look back at old Chris, that guy, but that's not me. I am born again. I am a new creation with a new beginning in Jesus Christ. What the world out there wants is people are going after all sorts of things in Jesus and the power of this gospel. The old is dead and the new is reborn in Christ. There are people out there desperate to start over. And they're going after religions and they're going after groups and we have been given the gospel that saves and transforms lives. Very difficult to stay on these for just a moment. <laughs> this gospel is far-reaching. This gospel is the gospel for all nations, all peoples, everywhere. Every skin color, every language, every tongue, every background. There is not one person on the face of this earth that has ever lived or will ever live that Jesus didn't come to die for. And in the United States, there is all sorts of racial battles and racism being thrown around. But this gospel is the solution to it all. Because black or white or Mexican or Asian, whatever we are, Jesus is the same Lord, the same Savior. And in Him and through Him, we become brothers and sisters standing with Jesus now and into eternity. We want to see neighborhoods come together. They come together over the gospel. He doesn't want black churches and white churches. He wants all nations, all tribes, all tongues. And we, we had the privilege the other day of having uh, France uh, FaceTiming in. It was uh, wonderful. But I hope what that did was not just make us think, oh, well, the white people over in France are saved now. That's cool. <laughs> but it means that God, this gospel, is a gospel for all nations, all peoples. There are millions of Muslims, that this gospel is meant to save, is meant to set free, is meant to deliver by the power of Jesus. Because this gospel reaches everyone. 
There is no prison cell. There is no closet. There is no basement that someone can hide in that is far enough that this gospel cannot reach them. The arm of the Lord is not too short to reach anyone. Amen? I feel like I'm shouting. I, I just... Mm. 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 For us as leaders, we're always trying to figure out Leading a church, you know, how do you get people motivated? And, you know, you, you throw this together and you throw that together. Friends, the very nature of the gospel, if we will preach it and make it central, the nature of the gospel is outward. If everybody in your, in your together, togetherness in your gatherings is saved, the nature of the gospel says it's time to get up and to get out and go get more. Maybe that's why it's avoided sometimes. I don't know. But friends, as leaders, whether you're a home group leader, whether you're sitting at, a, at work and you've been ministering to the guy next to you, the nature of the gospel is go, go, go. Take this, take this, take this. Take it to the ends of the earth. Take it to the end of the street. Take it to the end of the office. Take it to the end of the library. Take this gospel and go because its nature is outward. This gospel brings freedom. True freedom. Yeah. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no, no, no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. And again, this is, usually you throw, a, throw this out in any crowd, you're going to find people who are struggling with it. Friends, hear this gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation. If you are in Christ and you feel condemned, that's not Jesus. Because Jesus came to set you free. No condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Because through Christ, Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives us life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. Friends, you cannot save yourself. You cannot lift condemnation off of yourself. You cannot remove guilt. It remains. It is one of the keys that draws us to the place of salvation. But if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, He is now Lord, and you have asked and received His forgiveness, there is no condemnation that should be weighing on you anymore. And there's a world out there wrapped up and driven crazy by the guilt and the weight of the things they wish they could undo. What a message we've been given. What a privilege. This message is simple. We tend to complicate it, but it's simple. And I think for many of us, we think, well, we'll leave that message, that sharing of the gospel to the preachers and the home group leaders and maybe the more seasoned Christians. Friends, we often were more effective with the gospel within the first week of getting saved than any preachers are 40 years later. Because somewhere along the way, we lose the joy and the excitement of taking this message and bringing it to people in its simplicity. Paul was a man trained by Gamaliel, one of the, the major uh, uh, teachers of the Jewish world in that day. And when he got before the Sanhedrin and he got before the big leaders that God brought him before, he didn't sit there and recite things off in different languages. He says, I was on my way to Damascus to persecute the Christians. 
And when I was there, suddenly a light shone upon me and it blinded me and I fell to my knees. And I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. Paul shared his testimony of what God had done, bringing him to salvation. And then he began to take them to the point of understanding this gospel. Friends, we all, if we are in Christ, have what we need to share our faith. Every single one of us. What has he done? And it's helpful not to, you know, if it was 40 years ago, I hope you have stuff since then. But I've now lived more for Jesus than against, which is, I'm grateful for. But I still go back to that day because that day was powerful and it was true. I've got family that absolutely defies God, but they can't argue with what he's done in me. It's simple. Tell them what he's done. Tell them about him. This message is complete. It's done. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Except for these three things. No. It is finished. I don't mean, I don't normally throw a bunch of stories in, but I just think it's helpful. Before I went into uh, eldership at a church years ago, I worked selling heavy equipment, uh, uh, bulldozers, uh, skid steer loaders. Some of you who are in the industry will know those things. Big tractors, industrial tractors. And one of the guys in the the service department was from New York. And I I grew up in New York, and so I appreciated his loudness, but his language that went along with it. He was highly unsaved, shall we say. Tommy, the guy from New York, and he was loud, and every other word was F this and everything else. You knew Tommy was in the building. But I'd go sit with Tommy and he would do his thing and he'd pipe down. I'd just talk with him, spend some time with him. And he watched me and he watched what God did. And to be honest, I stepped into a job I didn't know, into a field I wasn't familiar with, and God blessed me beyond measure. And there were many other things that God did and others around, but Tommy to me stood out. Because I left that industry and uh, they they called me the tractor pastor by the time I left. Every meeting they'd have me pray and (laughs) I'd throw out the gospel. It was like Christmas, the tractor company, and here's the gospel. But I got a call from the dealership saying, hey, you know, Tommy's trying to get a hold of you. And I'm like, what's going on? He says he's dying. Tommy smoked from the time he was a, a kid. And so my wife Cheryl and I drove out to him, and we go to his house, and he's laying in a, a bed. He's got nursing care. They're basically preparing him to die. He's on oxygen. And there's the uh, smoking had just so cancer-ridden his lungs, he didn't have a lot of time left. And through tears, he said to me, he said, Chris, I remember you. And I remember there was something different about you. And he said, you know, my wife and I, well, he said, actually, she's not my wife. And he said, we went to the, the church they were a part of, and we asked them to marry us. And they said, if we didn't do all these little things, they wouldn't marry us. So in the Tommy fashion, he said, I told him, F you, and we walked out. And that was 50 years ago. (laughs) Okay, Tommy. 50 years. Never set foot in a church again. He said, Chris, I'd like to marry my girlfriend before I die. So I began to talk to him and say, Tommy, began to tell him about Jesus. Talk to him about what Jesus had done in me. He said, Chris, how can I? with only a few days left, expect God to forgive me after all I've done. 
And I began to share with Tommy the story of the thief on the cross. And he had never heard it before. And I just said, you know, the one thief sat there and said all these things about him. The other thief asked basically, you know, forgive me. Let me be with you. Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. And the point to Tommy that stood out is that Tommy, he couldn't get down from that cross. He probably lived no more than a day. There was nothing he could do to earn, nothing he could do to pay back, nothing he could do to make it right with God. He accepted what Jesus had given him freely. And Tommy, I want you to have that opportunity now. And through tears, this dying man accepted Jesus Christ. And his wife came in with her oxygen tank and accepted Jesus Christ. And we did their wedding four days later. Just a few weeks later, Tommy passed away. But I had the privilege of knowing this gospel saved him, where he was spending his eternity, and that the work was done. Friends, there's nothing else people need to do. They need to surrender their life to the one who came to give his for them. Once you have done that, once you have received that forgiveness and lordship, your work in regard to salvation is done. Now it's a chance to go tell others what he's done for you and what he wants to do in them. This gospel is central to who we are. It's not a side note. And Dan alluded to it wonderfully, talked about it wonderfully this morning. We, we can get sidetracked. And I remember where we were. I would have the privilege to speak into other churches, big and small, and some denominational, some not. And they would have me in. And I think I became the token guy because they'd bring me in. They said to fire people up. I thought, well, okay, whatever it takes. But what I found when people would come to me afterward, they were thrown by the fact that every time I would come, I would preach about Jesus. I would talk about the gospel. I would give people a chance to respond. And many even other leaders came and said, it's been so long since we've given people the opportunity. It's been so long since we've seen people saved. And it broke my heart because the leaders of those churches, I knew them well. They're friends. They love Jesus. They prayed for their people. They're all about Jesus. But somewhere along the way, they lost confidence in the centrality of the gospel into who we are and what we do. And friends, whether you're a church leader or a priest out in the business world, we can get to that point where we put other things in the way or we think, maybe if I come this way or come that way or I read this book, keep Jesus and this gospel central to the message we carry. Because it wasn't the other things that saved you and saved me. It was Jesus. And it's, it's fine to eat with people and, and all those, I mean, be Be normal. But as was said earlier today, if you're going to gossip, gossip about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Share Jesus. Sit across the table. Jesus sat with a whole bunch of sinners. And I don't recommend going out and finding the worst and hanging with them. I'm just saying, be around other people and share who he is. Talk about who he is. Share what you see in them through the Jesus that lives within you. Sometimes we think well, it's got to be the prophets. No, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the gospel. Go sit with people. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them what he has for them. Even they say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus. That's okay. He believes in you and he's got this for you and this for you and this for you. Amazing things. And they can walk away and think you're an absolute nutcase. But somewhere along the way, that weight of this message will begin to weigh upon them as it did upon me. I threatened people who came after me with the gospel. Because I, I didn't believe them. I had guys who would party with me one night and they'd go to church the next day and tell me I'm going to hell. Like, but you were with me. Yeah, but I went to church. Nonsense. Friends, we need to... I don't know how I got down that road. Sorry. Central to the gospel. 
Reconciling. This gospel is reconciling. Don't have time. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. In other words, friends, again, not the time to do it, but sin separated us from the God who created us for fellowship with Him. If you take most of Genesis all the way through to Malachi, it is man's desperate attempt to try and make himself right with God. An utter failure. In the beginning with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus comes on the scene. The answer, the solution to making us back into a relationship with God. The gospel is not about going to church. The gospel is not about reading your Bible. The gospel is not about praying. The gospel is not about worship and singing. The gospel is not about giving. The gospel is not about serving. The gospel is about God giving His Son in our place so that we could be forgiven and we could be reconciled with our Creator to walk with Him now and into eternity. And because of that relationship, I long to be in fellowship with His people. Because of that relationship, I long to sing songs that glorify Him. Because of that relationship, I long to serve Him and tell other people about Him. Because of that relationship, I will tithe and give and go because how could I not give Him everything I have? He reconciled me. And maybe for some, you know, if you grew up in a solid family and those things, that's the way it's supposed to be. I didn't. One of the key things that God showed himself to me at was, was a father. And me, some people would say, well, that's a crutch. That's why you follow God. No. He reconciled a son that was lost to a father that never stopped loving him. I realized that the 21 years I ran, the father was waiting and looking. And when I finally realized this is where I belong, he ran to me. I think sometimes we struggle with feeling like this gospel's relevant anymore. The world tells us it's old, it's outdated, your principles are this, your principles are that. And maybe principles are. But the gospel is the gospel for all ages, all people, all generations. As Tyron said earlier, he never changes. It doesn't get quirky or weird. God doesn't suddenly switch it up on us. This gospel is just as relevant 2,000 years ago as it is now, as it will be until Jesus returns because every one of us are separated from God by sin and need a Redeemer and need a Savior and there is but one and His name is Jesus. And whether you grow your hair long or grow it short, whether you have tattoos, don't have tattoos, whatever your thing is, this gospel applies to you and applies to me. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to skip out of the notes. I think one of the things that struck me about the nature of this gospel, friends, is when we come to Christ... The very purpose for which you and I are made, were made, comes to life again. See, the Bible tells us that the, the giftings and callings of God are irrevocable. And after 21 years of doing my own thing and chasing everything, I thought I came to God and I honestly thought God was going, well, now what do I do with this one? I'll figure out something for Chris to do. And what he began to show me, not as his servant, but as his son, is my boy, this is what I made you for. 
And he began to walk me in the journey of discovering why I was born, why I was formed in my mother's womb. God didn't miss it. He did not know what was happening. It wasn't his plan for me, but his plans never changed for me. And he waited and he held them. And when the day I came home, he said, all right, son, here you go. Friends, we in our salvation not only come back to a relationship with God through Christ, but we begin to discover why we exist. You and I were made by the Father. It wasn't we came to salvation and he thought, okay, line them up and I'll figure out something to do. In Jeremiah, it says, before you were born, I knew you. I formed you in the womb. I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. Every single one of you, not one is a mistake. Not one of us. God didn't oops anything. Whether whatever, whatever brought it about from rape to anything else, if that baby was born, it wasn't an oops to God. It wasn't God's plan. But when that baby was born, God's plans awaited him to come or her to come home and receive it. I believe from what I see in Scripture, and you can give me a little grace in it, that God had a plan and he built us around it. Who we are, what we look like. We look in the mirror and we're not satisfied. God looks and says, perfect. Exactly the way I planned Friends, your salvation. <laughs> our message is for them. But I believe largely our message is still not fully embraced by us. We can't take to them what we haven't yet taken a hold of. And I believe many of us in this room still wonder, why am I here? Still wonder, me? And the answer that God gives is, yes, you. My son, my boy my daughter, my beauty. This gospel is a gospel that brings us back to why we exist. We as a church need to take a hold of it and we as the bearers of the gospel need to take it out there. The gospel is offensive. Let's just put that out there. It's offensive. The name of Jesus is offensive. The idea of church largely our fault, is offensive because of what we've represented. But please be encouraged. Do not back off of the nature, the offensive nature of the gospel because people are offended by it. I was offended by people that came to me. I didn't want to hear them. I was physically offended and threatened back, but I needed to hear it because it confronted the sin in me. It confronted the things in me that needed to change, and I didn't want to change. The nature of the gospel is to confront the sin in our flesh. Because when it can do that, when it can have its way and do its work, friends, it can bring us to that place of saying, Lord, I can't change on my own. I can't save myself. I surrender to you. The gospel is offensive, but let the offense do its work. It doesn't mean go out and bash people with it. It doesn't mean make it offensive your own way. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means in love, desperate to see people come to know Jesus. You share the love of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and for them. And if they never want to talk to you again, thank God you got to tell them about Jesus once. Because there's some Christians along the way that never saw me again that made a difference toward my journey to him. Don't back off the message because it's rejected the first, second, 
hundredth time. It has to do its work. The Spirit of God brings us to repentance. Sanctifying. Friends, don't try and be like the world. We are not meant to be like the world. The gospel is not meant to look like the world, sound like the world, be similar to the world. It is meant to be different. It is meant to stand out. It stands alone because it is the only way to salvation. We do not say all these other gods are gods. They are not. There is one God, one Father, one Son, Jesus Christ, and one Spirit, and that is it. It sets us apart by its very nature. We don't stand in arrogance about it, but the reality of it is it's meant to be different because it is the one truth that can save souls. Why do I say that? I'm not trying to bring you down. I just want to encourage you to understand the nature of it is it does stand apart. We get duped into thinking we've got to try and fit into everything. Put that aside. Understand it's meant to stand out. But let me tell you, when people are lost in the dark, they're looking for the one with the flashlight. And if you turn it off to fit in, they're not going to know you're there. If you find yourself standing alone, eventually somebody who's tripping over themselves is going to say, let's go over there. It's rewarding. It's empowered. It's worthwhile. It is victorious and unstoppable. The gospel has endured for 2,000 years. It has endured uh, nations. It has endured conquerors. It has endured Caesars. It has endured Christians being burned at the stake with joy for dying for their faith. And yet it has spread and it has spread and it has spread because the gates of hell cannot stand against this gospel or Jesus Christ and His church. Friends, we do not serve a so-so message because we do not serve a so-so God. We have the message of victory over sin and victory over death that has been given to us. Corinthians says that we are ambassadors of the gospel, entrusted with his message to take to the world out there. What a privilege. What do we do with it? I trust, because I couldn't do it with words, but I trust that you're encouraged in the message you bear. I trust that you'll leave here tonight encouraged by all the things that have been built into you, life surrendered, pioneering spirit, getting ready to take mountains, but not in your own strength and not with your own words. In the strength that the Spirit of God gives you, as many of you were refreshed in last night and many of you baptized the first time in. But I also trust you are encouraged that the message you bear is the message that the world needs to hear. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. When you start to go and you hear that voice saying, oh, they're not going to like you, just go, quiet, devil. They need to hear about him. Secondly, minister with authority. Because the message you bear is not your own. It's his. The old-time heralds would be given a message. They didn't even know what the message was, but they were told, take it by the king. And they went under the authority of the king, which meant they were protected. They had all the rights and everything because the message they bore was the very message as if the king carried it himself. That's us. Speak the things of Jesus in love with authority. Tell them about him. The third thing on this last night as we head back is go and make disciples of all nations. Friends, 
What a Savior. What a message. What a privilege. Let's go tell the world about Him and see nations come to know Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand, Gus. Um, challenged, yes? Maybe you need to get saved. Again, again, and again. I don't believe that. Once saved, right? But, uh, Dan spoke a little of, uh, this afternoon as well around the gospel. And then here we hearing it again. I mean, clearly God's speaking loudly. I mean, it's clear. And... Uh, you know, we, we love the God factor and we love what God's doing, but God has called us to speak it and declare it. He doesn't declare the gospel, we do. The Bible says that there is, there's no limit to this gospel except somebody's got to tell somebody. That's basically what it's saying. This gospel knows no restrictions except it's got to be heard. And for it to be heard, the Bible says, someone's got to go tell it. And he didn't give the angels the opportunity and privilege to preach the gospel. He gave humans, us, his people. And this is not for evangelists. This is for his people. Yeah. And we prayed this week about the harvest is ready. And we prayed and we cried out for this nation, oh Canada. We started this week singing the national anthem. And what an incredible national anthem you have. Because it's all around God. I mean, we just don't have that. We, we are. We have a star-spangled banner or something, but you are a God of nations. The God, the God of nations. Yeah. And while I know that everyone's trying to get rid of that, God's not going anywhere. That's right. And so we cry out for the harvest and we cry out for this nation and God says, I got this. I've made the way. I've done it all. My son's been there. He's done that. Bought the t-shirt. He's seated in the place. It's finished. The work is done. And he says, now go and speak it and proclaim it and declare it. Yeah. Courage. In the mission, the mandate, follow Jesus. Go speak the simplicity because the power of the gospel. Yeah. saves anyone. It saved you. Yeah. I, mean, I, lo I love the testimony of Chris. I love, but you know, we all have that testimony here this evening. All of us. We are saved because of the pure gospel, not the trick gospel. Yeah. I was presented with tricked gospel, and it, I spat it out. It was so disappointing, I ran from it. Until mm. somebody actually got brave enough to tell me, this is what it means, and you need to repent and respond. Yeah. And that was so offensive but attractive that I said, I am all in, not to a half-baked gospel, the gospel yeah. in its purity. I want to die for something like this. And we all got that same testimony. Whether you had a bad life or a good life, you were dead and he's made you alive. That's it. And so the same point is that every person we come into contact with, Canada needs the gospel. Yes. And it's our time. To speak it and declare it unashamedly. Yes. As we go from this place. Amen. And so I'm going to ask Chris, would you just pray for all of us? Just to go in that power, to go in the simplicity, but not to lose our way and get clever in it, but just to go follow Jesus and preach the gospel to everyone. All right. So we pray for us, please. Just posture yourselves to respond, whatever that needs to be.
Father, we thank you more than words can express for the salvation you've given us. And Father, first, we want to respond to all of it ourselves. In the areas we have said this far but no farther, Lord, we open the door completely to you. The whole gospel, all of this salvation in my life. Just let it work. Healing, wholeness, identity, all of those things in Jesus. And Father, as we walk it out, we just pray begin to stir and break our hearts for those that haven't heard about you, for those that haven't yet received the incredible salvation we've been given. Lord, do a work in our hearts that we are motivated not by church culture, but by a passion to tell others about this incredible Savior. And Lord, you said in your word, you said it over yourself. The book of Isaiah, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed, empowered me divinely to preach the good news. And so Lord, tonight we just ask you for your anointing to be poured out upon us anew, afresh. It's been there, but just pour it out anew all the more. Just receive, friends. An anointing breaks off yokes. It breaks off burdens. It breaks off hindrances. And it empowers us from Him to do things we can never do on our own. You're not sure what to say. You're anointed to do it. You're not sure where to go. You're anointed to know. Let the anointing come. And right now, Father, we just receive that anointing. Stir in many right now where we're to go tonight, tomorrow, the weeks ahead. Neighbors, workplaces, friends, schoolmates, nations. Lord, we pray that today you do a work that cannot be done in the mind. But Holy Spirit, you do a work in us, in our hearts. Transform us. That we will be proud and excited about this gospel. Bold to tell the world about a God that loves them, died for them, and has come to save them. And that, Father, whether it's across dining room tables or from pulpits, we would go forth and preach this incredible gospel and love and long to see the lost saved. For your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Awesome, man. It's amazing. You know, we are finished now and we're going to just sing a wonderful anthem together. I do want to just make a quick announcement in a moment, but just, I was recently invited, well, a while back, invited to this conference with a whole bunch of pastors from around the world, and these were the church planning guys who do these wonderful things in North America, and that, and we had a, a man to give some, t- it was all statistics, and I'm not a statistic guy at all, so I was bored out of my skull being there. After two days, we left, uh, just it got too much. But the stuff that we were sharing was great. But a man stood up and he gave statistics and he said something to the effect of those guys who are planting churches who are 35 years and younger are seeing less people saved than those who are 35 years and older. And, and I thought there's no way that's possible. Forgive me, older people. As I just thought they, we've been planting churches for 40 years in our togetherness. That cannot be right. I think more people are getting saved under young people's ministry, forgive me, than older. So we thought, no, this guy's got it wrong. So after the meeting, <clears throat> we just went to him nicely and said, look, I think you got it back to front. You got your statistics a little wrong. Maybe you should correct that before you preach that again. And, and he said, no, I haven't. I said, no, no, I think you have. <laughs> nicely, but needless to say, I've never been invited back to any of those things. But 
But he said, I said, well, how do you get your statistics like that? And he said, interesting. This is not a rebuke, it's an observation. He said, 35-year-olds and younger are all about the social gospel. In other words, we feed, we clothe, we take care of. And he says, as long as you're feeding and clothing and taking care of, people come. But when you stop feeding, clothing, and taking care of them, they don't come anymore. He said, but those who are 35 years and older, by statistics, are just dumb enough to believe that the Bible and the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's not that we don't live out the gospel. We feed them and take care of them. But some of us are giving them that as the gospel and not preaching the gospel. You can feed people to hell. If they're not getting the gospel, we're only giving them feeding, clothing, but they're still going to hell. We need to preach the gospel. Let nothing replace the declaration and the proclamation. It still is the power of God for salvation. Amen.